0: You're listening to Just One of the Guys, where I'm bound and determined not to play any Gwen Stefani songs on the show, especially when I can just as easily play some Fits in the Tantrums. everybody, and welcome to another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast, hosted by the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. My name is Sean Ingle, and what I do on this show, and what I've been doing for the past three years, is covering the Green Lantern comics. Specifically, those Green Lantern comics that started with cover date June 1990, and will be ending with cover date November 2004. All the while on the show, I've been putting a special emphasis on the characters of Guy Gardner and Kyle Rayner, my two favorite Green Lanterns of all time. And this time, we are moving out of the Judd Wittick run and into the possibly controversial Ben Rabe run. As we're taking a look today at Green Lantern number 165, a story called A Tiny Spark. It's introducing Kyle into a new era, a very space-going era. One that a lot of people have had some negative things to say about. However, I might not have so many negative things, at least in this first issue. We've got an interesting story being set up after the Black Circle Urban Knights storyline. We've got Kyle out in space, and it's looking interesting. Fingers crossed it'll stay that way. Plus, we've got a regular spate of awesome promos to play. Plus, uh, since we had the uh, crossover events the past couple of issues, I've got a pretty good backlog of emails that I need to get to, so I'm going to get to emails before we get into the book. So, after we take this quick, short promo break... We will be getting right into emails, then our coverage of Green Lantern number 165.
1: ...the future is going to be. I only hope that we never lose sight of one thing. Gleaming buildings, fast monorails. This is the future. It was all started by a monster. Twice the size of Manhattan.
0: We want you to share with us our latest and greatest dream. Walt
1: Disney World. Better than any other urban environment in America. Two True Freaks proudly presents... We hope that it will be unlike anything else on this earth. Golf courses, campgrounds, stores, hotels...
0: Earning My Ears.
1: A -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity
0: for everyone who participates. We're ready to go right now.
1: Earning My Ears, a Walt Disney World-centric podcast, is available monthly at twotruefreaks.com. This is an imaginary podcast, which may never have happened. The Short Box Showcase. But then again may have. About a father and daughter... I'm Professor Allen. And I'm Emily. Who came from Ohio and talked about comics. Walking Dead. Tintin. Black Lightning. White Tiger. It tells of their rise to glory, when the great guests were yet to be booked. Let's put it this way, Shogun Warriors wasn't going to win any Eisners. And the great feats of editing not yet performed. This is Ultra 7, this is Ultraman Jack, and this Ultraman Taro, and this Ultraman Leo, and this of how they spoke at length. Continuity is really the brainchild of nitpicking nerds the world over. But to be fair, the best kind of confession is the Force Confession. And reviewed in brief tales that explore creatively the bounds of a given character's history. Red Sun is wonderful with a very strange ending. Of brilliant creators before their fall from grace. This is the era where Miller is at the height of his creative and artistic powers. And the ability of strong writing encapsulate and transcend its time flash of two earths by gardner fox this is an imaginary podcast aren't they all short box showcase is part of the relatively geeky family of podcasts check us out on the web at relatively geeky or search on itunes for relatively geeky or short box showcase and remember We're not experts. We're just family.
2: What is it that makes a superhero? Superpowers like super strength? Or bullets bouncing off your chest? Perhaps the ability to fly? Or can a regular person with the super heart and the brains to match become on the outside what he has been on the inside all along? Hi, this is Matthew Apps, and I'm the host of a monthly internet radio program covering the adventures of Steel, the only human member of the Superman family of characters to wear the air shield. It's called The Armoured Hero Steel, a John Henry Irons podcast. On the show, as well as looking at his adventures, I also take a look at the ads and letters in Steele's book, briefly look at what's happening in the rest of the Super Family, and even take a closer look at people that are important to the character of Steele, from the people that worked on his book, to supporting characters, including heroes, villains, and even family members. Check it out every month at www.thefanofsteele.com and www supermanpodcastnetwork.com
1: Kalabak, Desad it is is I, Darkseid. I command you to listen to the Who Podcast. Uncover the powers
2: and weaknesses of the Super Friends so that I may destroy them. Aquaman and Superman, Animal Man and Plastic Man, Firestorm and Nuclear Man, Batman, Man, Two Man, and Hour Man. Who are all these people, man? They're all part of the DC Who's Who. Mm-hmm. Ultra Boy and Mr. Gold, Lightning lass, and Hippolite, Phantom Stranger, Etrick and
0: Arisia and Woody Winks. Hey, hey, hey. What?
2: What about that one guy?
0: What guy?
1: Mr. Pretzel, Mr. Lipstick, Mr. Mitzelfuzzle? Mr. Mitzi's
2: Pitlick. Yeah, him. He's also part of the DC Who's Who.
1: Who's Who, the
0: definitive podcast of the DC Universe.
1: Available monthly at Aquaman Shrine, Firestorm Fan, and on iTunes and Stitcher as part of the Fire and Water podcast.
0: And we are back. And what you heard there, of course, was the promo for the Who's Who podcast, hosted by Rob Kelly and the Irredeemable Shag. That promo has a bit of a meaning to it, as this week is the release date of the show – the uh, guys from Who's Who, as well as a bunch of other podcasters, are going to be involved in a, in a basically a multi-podcast get-together, I guess, called Conway's Crossover. Uh, if you haven't been online or you haven't heard in the Comicdom news, Jerry Conway has kind of had a bit of a, well, a bit of a problem with DC Comics and Warner Brothers in general about compensation for his works in different mediums. Essentially, the character of Caitlin Snow was not recognized as a derivative character of his, and DC wasn't paying him for the rights of that character being used on the Flash TV show. He wrote a blog post on his Tumblr site, and, well, basically it sparked the ire of a lot of fans who, thankfully, did not gather pitchforks and uh, torches, and go burn down the DC offices, but rather decided to do a bunch of crossover episodes showcasing some of Jerry's works. And in fact, uh, you might have heard uh, one of the works that we did for the Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror, covering Tomb of Dracula number one. There are tons of other podcasts talking about that, and it's basically just to celebrate Jerry Conway's work. So I hope you get a chance to listen to that, and of course I hope you take a chance on listening to the Who's Who podcast at and- All the podcast over at Fire and Water. Good stuff over there. However, it's time to get into the thing that I love the most on this show. Reading the letters that you guys write in to the show. You've got mail. Pattern baldness. (laughs) And it wouldn't be a just one of the guys show unless I had a wonderful email from my listener to the Great White North, Mr. Scott Davis. Hopefully not my only listener. I'm certain I have more than just one, but... If it's only Scott, I'm more than happy to have him. He writes into the show with the title Legends of the DC Universe and Others, and he says, Hi, Sean. It took me a while, but I was able to finally get some of the ancillary issues that you cover on your show. Legends of the DC Universe number 37 and 38, he said, This was an excellent two-issue story about Stellara and Traitor really enjoyed it. Scott Collins' art is fantastic as well. I had issue 37 sitting at my desk for a long time, and I always assumed it was Warrior on the cover. I only realized that it wasn't him when I picked it up and actually read it. Yeah, I guess Trader did kind of look sort of that beefy. I remember the cover being all kinds of wonky and not being the Scott Collins art, which was much cleaner inside, so yeah, I, I could see how you'd be confused. He says, um, I only realized it when I picked it up and read it. I actually like the cover too. Well that's that's where you and I would have to differ. Did I hear you correctly that you like to drink warm mountain dew? No, that's Warm Mountain Dew, that's Doctor Bill. Is that how you things you guys do things down there in Oklahoma City? No. Again, Doctor Bill and that's that's a doctor Bill thing. So he says, "Good call." Stephen Grants writes Kyle much like Peter Parker in this, and I also agree that the people that claim that their vices are in their DNA is weak sauce. There's a great quote by Trader on page 20, and I just have to share it again. I ask the universe, and it answers. It said that hope is a lie, and progress an illusion, and despair is our natural state, that life leads inexorably to death, and death is the best way is the best we may aspire to. And the sooner everyone accepts that, the happier we'll all be. Wow, that was deep. Yeah, I guess we kind of just skimmed over that quote. Yeah, that that is kind of a deep quote for a, for a DC comic funny book. Anyway, it goes back and says, Issue 38 was excellent, too, even though most of it was just action. Cow really gets his ass kicked in the issue, and the images of his uh, decrepit body are disgusting. You and Dr. Bill Robinson really quick together, and I hope you have him on again soon. Your idea to snort the ring dust to ingest it is hilarious. Great stuff. Uh, once again, any humor that comes on the show when Dr. Bill is around is specifically from Dr. Bill. Uh, if you want to listen to more of uh, Dr. Bill and I, we do a show over at Tutra Freaks called Walking Dead Wednesday, where Dr. Bill, in his creative genius, puts forth some of the, uh, some of the best synopses of Walking Dead comics and Walking Dead shows possibly ever. In fact, uh, if the one we're going to be working on for the next show should be should be pretty epic. Anyhow, going back to the email, he says Green Lantern Secret Files and Origins number three. The first story about a jealous Jenny was pretty good, but the best part was how you and Michael Bradley try to figure out girls and their emotions and why they react the way they do. From my experience, it's best not to even try, guys. The second story with Mr. Bones had me lost. I had no idea what was going on. You and me both. It sounds like you had no idea either. Pass. The Feast magazine story was good; was a good idea, but it probably could have been done better. The ladies in the issue are drawn very nicely by Philip Bond, though. Michael's comment on page 42 about Terry Popping sits in the mirror is hilarious. Yeah, I didn't get that at all, but there you go. And the evil Kilowog on page 47 is bizarre. Pretty good issue overall. Then going on to Green Lantern, Brightest Day, Blackest Night, he said this was a great story about Alan Scott, Solomon Grundy, and Nazis. The painted-style artwork was amazing, too. The splash page of Grundy about to get hit by the train was fantastic, and I don't really have too many comments on this issue, but I really enjoyed it overall. It's interesting that I bought this book from mycomicbookshop.com, and it looks like it was possibly autographed by the artist John K. Snyder. He, He attached a picture, which I'm looking at right now, and he says maybe you can figure out who this is too bad my name isn't Mark, and if there's someone out there that would like this issue, please let me know and I'll be able to send it to them. And, yeah, it does kind of like it. It does kind of like like it'd be John K. Snyder, because the first letter looks like a J, and then K-A-Y, so, yeah, that's kind of neat. It's not uncommon for you to get signed or autographed issues, even from My Comic Shop, because essentially I think My Comic Shop is just a you know, beside being an online retailer, they're actually just a big comic shop that probably gets tons of back issues from people. I think it's located in somewhere in Texas. I want to say Dallas, but I might be it might be Austin, so I'm not certain. But Scott, thank you for writing in. I always am glad to hear from you, and thanks for your uh, opinions on the episodes. Our next email comes in from Bradley Null, and he writes in with the simple title "On Guy," which hopefully is. Not filthy, hopefully. He writes in saying, I started from episode one and I'm now on episode 13. Oh, holy cow. You've got a way to go before you will hear this email. So good luck, Bradley. Uh, He says, I'm not a Hal fan. I'm a fan of the general concept of Green Lantern. My two favorite comic characters are Green Lanterns, Alan Scott and Kyle Rayner. Good choices. Good choices. I almost skipped to the episodes where you covered Kyle as he was who I wanted to hear about, but I'm glad I didn't. I never liked Guy before. I mean, I dislike the character a way I would if he were real. I liked that he existed, and I've liked the story around him, but I haven't liked Guy. It might just be because I never gave Guy and his nort a fair chance. When I bought this series new as a young adult who had a past with being a DC Comics fan, I was pre-programmed to hate Guy some, because I was a Beatle and Booster fan. And how Guy presented was presented in the Justice League books flavored my view. Then we got the Pilot Boy Flake Howe versus Captain Shoulder Chip Guy story in the early issues of this run. I love the art, but I grew up in a redneck town near an Air Force base, so while I love Pat Broderick's ring constructs, the story wasn't much of an escape. Then we get image into Deez's story where I decided Jon Stewart is way cool, only to see him get shoved into the background. I knew from past experience that he shoved a the shove-to-the-back black man, wasn't likely to get his own book, so he was irritated with the idea of any other GL getting top billing. Um, let me stop there and say, John does tend to get that done. It was really nice to see him get the Mosaic storyline, and Gerard Jones, from what I've heard, had a really interesting idea with that. Unfortunately, it just didn't take off in the way that... I think John's or not John's, but uh, Gerard Jones probably wanted it to go into. So there you go. But getting back to the me- email, he says, Finally, I was also not a fan of Joe Staten art. I appreciate it better now. Well, that's, that's good because I know Shag has commented in a while. Sometimes the Joe Staten art from this era can be an acquired taste, but I, I specifically enjoyed it. But he says, so while I skipped this series from issue one, when a guy in his door happened, I skipped it as well. Oh, look, a bad GL and a joke GL with art that's not good, or similar would have been my reasoning. I have seen these issues. I have at least quick scanned them for the sake of completeness. However, I have not read them prior properly prior to this. I wish I had, because this is where the character of Guy went from the bad guy GL to amusingly arrogant GL. The story, goofy as it might be in places, actually transitions Guy's personality in a natural way, and I missed it when it happened. This story, what I would have avoided for years, turns out to be not only great, but a highly important character moment that I missed. Because this story is where Guy went from Justice League Guy to Green Lantern Court Guy. When you read this, it seems to have made you like Guy. When I skip this, it may have prevented myself from liking him as much. Maybe we need to get it in trade, as it appears to be a major formative moment for Guy. You know, I'd like to see it in trade, but I think the best we're probably going to see is it promoted on Comixology. In fact, as far as I know on Comixology, if you want to, I think all the issues up to um, Kyle becoming Green Lantern and then a few issues of that are collected on Comixology. So they can be picked up there. It would be nice to see some of these stories get traded, but I doubt that's going to happen, unfortunately, in the modern DC universe. Bradley finished up. Thank you for showing me what I missed. Faster than a speeding turtle, more powerful than a loco dog, able to leap. It's Bradley, man. Oh, well, Bradley, thank you very much. I appreciate you writing in. And that's gonna do it for email this time out. Uh, we're gonna go ahead and close up the Just Run the Guys email bag and move into our coverage of Green Lantern number 165. Green Lantern number 165 was covered in late July 2003 and released on May 28th of 2003. Had a cover price of 225 US and 375 Canada, and the title of the book was A Tiny Spark. The writer this time out, the new one, was Ben Rabe. The penciler was Rick Burchett, new penciler. Inker was once again Rodney Ramos. The colorist was Moose Bowman. Letter Kurt Hathaway, assistant editor Morgan Dauntonville. And the editor was Bob Schreck. After a quote from a Moby song to start off the issue, yay, we're treated to Green Lantern Kyle Rayner doing some space meditating in a very Christ-like pose. However, his becoming one with the universe is put on hold as Ganthit, the last adult guardian of the universe, drops by and informs Kyle of the arrival of the recruits Kyle sent out at Cosmic Hot Jobs ad for. But as the two reach Oa, Kyle finds that the number of beings willing to sign up and start the new Green Lantern Corps are significantly less than he thought there would be. And by significantly less, I mean four. And even they aren't happy about the job prospects. Kyle tells them that he needs boots on the ground to help him bring down the Black Circle, but the recruits are unimpressed, even with Kyle's impassioned speech about the recreation of Oa and the central battery. Frustrated, Kyle heads out to try and show the four recruits the good a Green Lantern could do. First, he stops a robo-assassination attempt on the planet of Mecha 4. Then, he rescues the vessel of lizard people from falling into a sun. And finally, he saves a farmer on the planet of... Agraria Seven? Really? Agrarius Seven? Whatever. Cal saves the farmer, whose crops feed myriad planets throughout the sector, from a swarm of space locusts. Meanwhile, back on Earth, Terry Berg is finishing up moving in with his boyfriend David, while mulling over requests to do interviews about his assault by a group of homophobic thugs. Terry is reluctant to give the interview, until he hears a voice message from his father asking him not to do it, as it would only capitalize on their shame. Resolved, Terry accepts the very Queen primetime request, as his father says that he and Terry's mother are worried sick about him. Cut to or, where Kyle is surprised that his examples of altruism have failed to impress the recruits, causing them all to leave. Kyle wonders why they just don't realize the good that a new Corps could do, and Gant says that the Spectre, every pun intended, of Hal Jordan hangs over the Green Lantern name, and it will take some time to clear the shame from it. But before Kyle can go wallow in his own sorrow, he has a debt to make good on. Crossing the planet, Kyle approaches Kilowog, still in his Dark Lantern getup, practicing some space Tai Chi. Kyle hands over the 100 credits for losing the bet about keeping the recruits, and Kilowog says that eventually new Lanterns will come around. Even a tiny spark can light the way, kid, Kilowog says. Be the spark. Resolved and realizing that he was only trying to recreate the support group of his friends and loves on Earth, Cow heads into space, recites the oath, and lets his Green Lantern's light shine. Overall, not a bad start to the Ben Ray run on the Green Lantern books with a few minor caveats. He does seem to write characters in a bit more of a snarky feel, even with Ganthet being a bit of a wiseacre. However, we do get introduced to a few new recruits in the book, one of whom I think is still in the Greenlander books as of current, if I'm not mistaken. The art by Rick Burchett is clean and good-looking, but not like the art style from the book he's best known for, i.e. The Batman Adventures but there he was intentionally aping the style of the TV show so you can see where he's drawing his own stuff that it would have a different plan and look to it. It's a decent start to the run, but with all of the talk on the internet of how much people dislike this era of Green Lantern, from people like Thomas DJ to Michael Bailey to some other people online who have said to look out for this, I'm wondering if this just might be the calm before the storm. Again, generally, generally, I'm liking the book so far. But as opposed to generalisms, let's get into some sp- specifics. Block I can say that word. Starting with the cover. It's nice. Kyle looks great. This is another Ariel Olivetti cover, I think. Uh, no, actually, this is Rick Burchett. No, it's uh, No, I'm sorry. It's signed by Ariel Olivetti. I was the fir- right the first time. Uh, Kyle looks good. Killawog is the Black Lantern looks good. Uh, the Green Lantern recruits look good unfortunately there's Liana and wow if you thought she looked awkward in her pose that Ariel Olivetti drew her on that issue of I want to say 160 161 where she was holding Kyle by the neck this looks even worse um yeah she's got abs of steel and she's still got the stripper straps on (sighs) it's not a good look and I don't know why they continue to draw her like this. Page two, there's some none-too-subtle Christ-like imagery here in the book, but that's, as we've commented on before, that's not uncommon for the character Green Lantern, or for superheroes in general. The artwork by Burchette is good. Uh, Unfortunately, Kyle's legs look a bit long for his body. Other than that, uh, really nicely done. Uh, i liking the way the digital coloring is working in the books. it's We're starting to get into that era where computerized coloring is looking less unrealistic and actually blending in with the book, making the book look a lot more... having, having the book's colors pop a lot more, so uh, I'm enjoying the art at least. Page three, here's one of the nitpicks I have about Ben Rabe, and this might be why people are kind of saying negative things about him. His dialogue for the characters sometimes seems a bit too snarky, especially with characters like Ganthet. Ganthet delivers this line after Kyle says, uh, uh, I'll, it'll raise my con- cosmic consciousness or something, as he was talking about something that, uh, Kilowog totally do. And Ganthet replies, oh, please. And a zillion, and for a zillion pan-galactic credits, there's an interdimensional wormhole that I'll be happy to sell you. Essentially making the, uh, I'll sell you the Brooklyn Bridge comment to him. It seems really out of place for Ganthit and maybe this is just one of the things that Ben Rabe thinks writing for the characters is interesting but it just doesn't feel right especially for the character of Ganthit who is a guardian in the universe and not supposed to be filled with snark. Page four we get introduced to the recruits that uh, Kyle is trying to bring into the core and... A couple of them look familiar. Uh, We've got... Rimuze. I think she's the sort of... lion-haired, orange-skinned girl... with the uh, bright green eyes. She looks familiar. I think she might be in Green Lantern Corps. But the one that I specifically realize... is Vaz. He's the very... like buff Chewbacca with talons, kind of a mix between Chewbacca and a bear type character in there, and I believe that he's currently in Green Lantern Core, or at least was for a while. Unfortunately, like I've said before, I'm not keeping up with the current Green Lantern issues, so that's purvey of the Lantern cast. Maybe, maybe Scott can write in and let me know if I, I've got that item correct. Page 5. Starting out here, it looks like the Ben Rebera of the book is going to be focusing on Kyle trying to deal with what happened with the Black Circle, and maybe to hunt down Amon Sir and take him out. If that's the case, that's kind of interesting. It It's a nice story arc, but if it's executed poorly, maybe that's why some people look kind of negatively on this book. We'll have to see as we go through. Moving further into the book, page 8, I like that Rick Burchett brings a stylistic look of the Batman Superman adventurous comic with the design of the robots here. They're very sparse. They have very sharp angles. They're kind of like the robots that you would see in the Batman animated series, kind of like a brainiac type robot, uh, very simplistically designed, but also very elegant as well. So I I think that once again, I think having Burchett on the book, if you could get Eagle Sham back on it, it's, it's a nice, it's, different type artwork, but I think it still works with the book and it still looks really good. However, I kind of have to catch myself after saying all that praise for uh, the artwork, and in this panel on page 9, panel 6, Kyle's flying away from the robot planet, and he's flying in a really weird way. He looks kind of like he should be skating, as if there should have been a skateboard or something under it, because He's squatting down in the panel. It also looks like, you know, he may have just gotten off the toilet as well. It's uncomfortable. Page 11, I'll give Ben Rabe some credit here. Uh, the ship that's falling, that's supposed to be examining the star or, you know, charting it or whatever, is getting pulled into the star as gravity and can't escape. So... The captain of the ship decides to send the escape pods out, but unfortunately, because the escape pod's mass is not, is lesser than the actual ship, and their propulsion sh- systems are not as powerful as the ship, the escape pods get sucked into the gravity well of the sun and are gonna be- get burned up as well. That's a nice idea that Ben Rape's putting forth because that would actually happen, I would think. You've got less mass less propulsion, you're not going to be able to escape even if you are forcibly ejected away from the ship. So, good on Ben Rabe for at least putting a bit of science or comic book science into the book. But then Ben Rabe kind of throws all that goodwill out the window by naming the planet probably one of the most obvious names that he possibly could, a farming planet named Agraria 7. Yep, you heard it. Of course, you know, the robot planet was called Mecha 4, so yeah, I guess originality in naming things isn't Ben Rabe's strong suit. Pages 16 and 17. I'm glad that we're getting back to the character development, or at least the character story with Terry and everything. Uh, It's good to see that he's recovered. He's now moved out of his parents' house, and he's living with David. But the call from his dad, although somewhat self-concerned, does seem to convey that his parents still love and care about him. So I'm wondering why Terry's so... Well, I guess I can kind of understand. His dad is not saying for him to not take this interview because of what it'll do to him specifically, but what will do to his family. Terry's dad does seem to, even though he loves his son does still seem to be uncomfortable with the fact that his son is homosexual, and he's afraid that his son going on and promoting this and talking about the assault and everything will just make his family look bad, and I guess I can see why that, well, no, I can see why that would be upsetting Terry, but in the end, his father still does love him, and this, this kind of just shows Terry as being defiant. It's I think it actually works in the character of Terry being a young sort of teenage boy and feeling disenfranchised from his parents. So it works in the story, and it'll be interesting to see if this gets carried on further on into the book. Page 19, Kilowog is the Dark Lantern. It bugged me in the uh, Legacy the Last Willow and Testament of Hal Jordan, and it bugs me now. It's a weird look for Killawog, and I guess it's supposed to be reminiscent of the fact that he's died and come back. I'm really hoping, though, that he doesn't stay in this for long. I know that Kilowog will eventually get his normal look back, but it can't come soon enough for me. But then we get on pages 21 and 22, and kind of odd ending with Kyle being all introspective and deciding the best way he can impress people is by glowing like a bright green star in the sky. Kind of touchy-feely, mumbo-jumbo, ending up the book. But it does have Kyle speaking the oath and trying to reform the core, so I guess it works. Yeah. Like I said, there are a few nitpicks in this story, but overall, it's a good start to the Ben Rape run. Of course, sometimes things start out really well and just peter out poorly so hopefully that won't be the case for these books hopefully we'll be able to get some ads in the books that uh, we haven't seen uh, throughout the course of the past couple of months let's go check them out starting with the front inside cover we get uh, i guess some of the haribo gummy bears stealing tires off a uh, gummy bear car sure whatever i guess haribo are naughty little bears okay Still get that same stupid advertisement for Starburst uh, candy with the guy putting a defibrillator on top of an apple that's in his mouth. That's probably the worst thing you can possibly do. Get an advertisement for the game My Street, which I guess allows you to play dodgeball on your PlayStation 2, as well as seven other different games. So essentially, rather than going out and actually playing games, you can sit in your home and play them on the PlayStation 2 uh, I'm certain this is a commentary that I could make on the state of uh, child health but that's not me after that we can add stating because top secret always looks good on your resume it's an advertisement for the US Navy I guess you know if you're in the Navy you're essentially looked upon as James Bond there you go we get the same ad for oxyclean uh, pads with the uh, kids trying to cover up uh, their zits with uh, various different uh, methods. Uh, Faking sick, uh, wearing a turtleneck or a bandage. Yeah, so there we go. People have zits. After that, we've got, oh, grand. We've got the uh, mosaic, the uh, sort of stained glass window mosaic of tobacco is wacko if you're a teen. Thanks. haven't had enough of that. Uh, we get the uh, future of online racing, Auto, Auto Modalista, which I guess is essentially Gran Turismo for the PlayStation 2 before Gran Turismo. An advertisement for the Game Boy Advance game Castlevania, Area of Sorrow, with uh, some very freaky anime-looking characters promoting the Castlevania side-scrolling game. The uh, Right Guard Extreme Power Caps. Now, rather than having the Power Stripe, it's got the Power Caps, which are obviously vastly more impressive in warding off bacterial, fungal, funky smell underneath your arms. Yeah, there you go. We get the free Justice League hat if you buy Sargento String Cheese or Sargento's Cheese Sticks, and this is the Justice League animated show. Uh, an advertisement for the Pirates of the Capere- Cap... She's pirates of the caribbean game for the pc cd-rom or the xbox i guess again video game tie ins to movies probably aren't all that good so buyer beware an advertisement for nature's care skin cream uh essentially i think i covered this before it's basically proactive before proactive then the uh back inside cover is for kung fu chaos the uh Basically, Sonic the Hedgehog characters doing kung fu, and once again, what's his name? Rob Burnquist, I guess, doing his skating thing over the uh, city from Poltergeist. Yeah. Man, we we haven't had any good ads in a while. It's been just the same old spade of ads. So sadly, hopefully next time out, we'll be getting into some new comics and a new cover date and some new ads that won't suck. Of course, hopefully, next issue won't suck, as we'll be looking at Green Lantern number 166, which will take Kyle into trying to take down the Black Circle, as well as Kyle meeting with turtles. Yep, you heard me right. Big, giant, sentient turtles. Unfortunately, none of them spin around and shoot fire out their uh, leg holes, which would which would be awesome. Anyhow, we'll be covering that issue, Green Lantern, 166, next week on Just One of the Guys. So, until then, I hope you guys have a good week, and we'll catch you in seven days. Bye, everyone. You've been listening to Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast, hosted by yours truly, Sean Inkle. All images, stories, and music are copyrighted by their respected copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This podcast is done solely out of my desire to show the denizens of the internet that comic books could be fun, humorous, compelling, thought-provoking, and exciting, while not having to fall into the weary tropes of the 1990s. I'm not in any way doing this for monetary gain, which irritates my wife to no end. All feedback for the show can be sent to the show's Gmail account at justoneoftheguyspodcast at gmail.com. All feedback, positive and negative, is warmly welcome. All spam bots are warmly welcome too, as long as your definition of a warm welcome is for them to die horribly in a fire. The website address for the show can be found at the brand new Two True Freaks website, located at 2TrueFreaks.com. There you can find the RSS feed, as well as scans of the covers and whatever else I feel like putting up. Look for me on iTunes. Just search for Two True Freaks Presents Just One of the Guys podcast, and you can subscribe to the show there. You can search for me on Facebook as well, and now you can find me there, as it was a requirement of my new Core contract, but it doesn't mean that I'll be joining your little Candy Crush group anytime soon. Thanks for downloading and listening, and come back next Friday for another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern Podcast. The opening music for today's show was the song Spark by Fits and the Tantrums off their album More Than Just a Dream. Fits and the Tantrums is one of the modern alternative bands that I've really gotten into, and I really enjoy their music, and I hope you would enjoy their music too. If you'd like to buy this song or buy the album More Than Just a Dream, there's a number of places you could go to. Of course, the best place to go to would be the Amazon.com website where you can either buy the CD or buy the digital download. Of course, the best way to get to Amazon.com, if you want to help out us, is to go to TutorFreaks.com first. When you go to TutorFreaks.com, there's a banner in the upper left-hand corner of the website. Click on that banner, and it'll take you to Amazon.com where any purchase you make of either the Fits in the Tantrum music, the Fits in the Tantrum CD, or Anything else up at Amazon will shoot a little amount of your payment back to Toot Freaks. You won't pay any extra, you won't see anything extra come out of your checkbook or your wallet, but it will help out the Toot Freaks because we have this advertising deal with them. So anytime you're thinking about buying music, movies, games, or entertainment of any sort through Amazon.com, please make sure you go first to two true freaks.com.